Welcome to Unplugged, another edition this week. We're never 100% sure exactly what round we're up to given this condensed season, but round 10, I believe, is where we're at at the moment. Football every day. We're about a week into or seven days into the 20-day festival of football. St Kilda will play again on Thursday night uh, and again on the Monday. So the Gold Coast Suns next up. And then it's uh, Geelong after that on a Monday night. Three wins in a row and three hoodoos in a row. First win in a long time against Adelaide, Port Adelaide, and now Sydney, who we hadn't beaten since 2012. We are here for originalugboots.com.au. Stay tuned to our social channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're even on LinkedIn as well. And if you do so, you'll find a very special unplugged um, promotion from originalugboots.com.au or unplugged. We could say uh, that's coming soon. Thanks to originalugboots.com.au. Australian-owned, Australian-made quality sheepskin UGG boots at originalugboots.com.au. You're going to be spending a lot of time at home. Great place to be wearing uh, the UGG boots as well. So make sure you, you check them out. A comprehensive win over Sydney. Our biggest win of the year, margin-wise, 53 points, kicking 100 points for the first time this season, which is significant uh, in the shortened. Uh, games that they are. We're now the highest scoring team in the competition and our defence up to sixth in the comp as well. So the numbers tracking the right way. Six and three, third on the ladder uh, and plenty of opportunities to come. But a, a big result against the Swans after a sluggish third quarter. Darren Parkin is my name. And H, as we, uh, as we welcome you in, it was nice to tick another one over. There were some nervous moments and all of those nervous moments seem to be coming in the third quarter lately. But they put that game to bed pretty quickly thereafter. Yeah, definitely a tick and another tick and tick here and tick here and tick here. It's just, it's, we're just ticking off all these things that we seem to be finding in the team, the, the certain players, the results, just, I don't know. Uh, who said we could only play under the roof now? It's, it's, it's a bit, nothing is, nothing is normal at the moment. It's, it's as good as it is. It, I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen next. And yeah, I just hope we keep, keep riding this and as we we're just saying off air before if um we get a choice of where to play do we start asking to play in adelaide do we start to play what to play at the state in queensland it's yeah it's all over the place but we can we're only just going up and up and up and it's been great i mean there there are so many positives to come out of this this last few weeks I and mean, obviously you know beating the crows the power and the swans obviously teams that, that we've had real trouble with in in the recent past um, it is massive on its own, but I think just for for these these guys, this young group, to know that they legitimately can win anywhere and under any circumstance. You know, they've, they've beaten the top of the ladder in their own on their own patch. They've they've played at night out in the open. They've played in dewy, slippery conditions. Um, you know, like you said, H previously, it was if, if we're not at the at the dome, then uh, you know, good luck. We'll, we'll see you next week. Um, but uh, you know, really impressive that that we can do this now, and they know that we can do this. And regardless of, of how this year ends up, I think this is going to be a massive confidence boost for, for a young group, you know, going to, into what should be, you know, kind of prime career and, and, and prime, uh, prime areas for, for finals and, and premiership contention, if, if you want to talk about that sort of stuff, over the next, you know, five and six years, for them to know already now that, that they can win anywhere, anytime against anyone is, is massive. I've got a self-imposed ban on the F word for a little bit longer. Um, obviously, it's 
it's tracking the right way, but uh, we'll just obviously let it ride a little bit. This is such an important block of fixtures. Obviously, you couldn't afford to lose four more players in this chunk of games because you play so many games so quickly, obviously, that you could lose ground or gain ground. So it was good to tick the first box. And Gold Coast, Geelong and Essendon still awaits in this, uh, in this cluster of matches. We don't know what the fixture looks like after that. We know the teams we haven't played yet. There'll be five teams after that. Uh, which are GWS, Brisbane, West Coast, Melbourne and Hawthorne. We obviously don't know the order of those matches or the venues. It'll be nice to get West Coast when they've got a hub back in Queensland, which they'll have to do for a couple of weeks. If we could get them at the Gabba as opposed to Optus Stadium, obviously that would be desirable. And if we could get Brisbane at the Gold Coast as opposed to the Gabba, that would be nice. But um, time will ultimately tell how that all does fade out. But yeah, really strong performance. Obviously started very well. Uh, we lost Seb Ross before the bounce, but Shane Savage played a good game as, as his replacement in the lineup. Hunter Clark spent a bit more time up the ground and was lively. Uh, Ryder and Marshall worked well, and I thought this was probably the first time when Ryder and Marshall played in the same team where Marshall was probably the, the better of the two. Ryder was still good, but I thought Marshall's impact was, was pretty significant. Uh, Max King kicking three goals in a game for the first time. Nick Hine played his best game at AFL level. Um, Jay Gresham played his best game for the season, probably. Um, so there, there was a lot to like about it. And they stayed pretty healthy. So now it's the question of with Dean Kent and Seb Ross and these sorts of guys and Ben Long available again after his suspension, what changes they do make. But, yeah, really pleasing. Josh Battle's role in the side. Uh, Nick was, was good and um, got to address those third quarters. Brett Ratton did speak about that in the press conference afterwards, that they're obviously aware that it's a problem. But... Um, I'll get the numbers up later, but our third quarter as opposed to our final quarters, uh, it's uh, chalk and cheese. It's, yeah. it's concerning. Uh, I mean, clearly, you look at what we do in the first half uh, and, and you wonder why they can't come out you know, at the start of the third quarter and show the same intensity and ferocity at the ball. And, and we seem to be a step behind you know, for, for 10 or 15 minutes in, in, into the third quarter. And, and I don't know why that is. Uh, obviously... You know, they're going to have to look at what that process is at, at halftime. Because as soon as the third quarter's over, they come out and they, and they run and gun again in the last. It's, it's quite amazing to see this, the discrepancy between the first half, the third quarter and the last quarter, uh, especially over the last three or four weeks. It's, it's, um, it's strange. But, you know, one of the good things, I was talking to a few people uh, earlier in the day, that the important thing is that we've been able to finish games really strongly. And, and in previous years, that's been one of our issues. You know, we might go into the, into the last quarter with a small lead or, or been playing some good footy up to the last quarter, and then we get overrun. And that's not happening this year. We, we have our patches, uh, you know, in the, in the second and third quarters. But, uh, you know, we finish games strong and, and we play really good offensive, attacking, uh, aggressive football, even down to the last minute. You know, we, we were wondering in, in our group chat, H, I think he asked... You know, about five or six minutes left, do we just kind of stop now and kind of put the cue in the rack and, and just hold hold the ball now? Uh, and they didn't. They kept running. They kept gunning. And they, and they kept trying to score, which is, is really fun for, for fans to, to see their team, you know, playing attacking aggressive offensive football to the last minute. Yeah, I think I think my comment towards that was actually I think it feels like we put the cue in the rack in the third quarter and sort of, sort of move into like a, it almost feels like we're in a holding pattern. Just go out and say, oh, just just wear them down in the third quarter, make make them run, make them run hard, and yeah, they they pepper us, pepper us, pepper us, and oh, and they use all their energy, and we still we manage to rebound off them, and then all of a sudden go, oh, last quarter, let's go, let's finish it off. It's it's been a weird weird couple of last quarters in the last couple of weeks it's yeah it's just 
don't know if they sort of switch on and go, oh, okay, we we better play now. <laughs> it's yeah, um, five in a row. So the, the Carlton game that they won, they were a little sluggish in the third term. Uh, then the Fremantle game, they were poor in the second and third quarters. They uh, didn't touch the ball really in the third quarter. Didn't score against Frio. Uh, then the following week against Adelaide, they got a bit jittery. They, they kicked the goal late, but the Crows had the better of it. Port started all over us in the third quarter and we held and then kicked a couple late, which was so important. And then very similar against Sydney, where we, we kicked the first goal. We started the third quarter all right. We probably had the first four or five inside 50s, kicked a goal. And then Sydney dominated and kicked two goals, four to nothing from about 12 entries in a row. And then we kicked the late goal, which was important. But yeah, we're just, we're probably 15 minutes where we lose control. But but I'd say, I mean, last week, Port only kicked two against us. Sydney only kicked two against us. Uh, Fremantle only kicked three against us. Carlton, I think, two or three. So we're not getting blown away, but we're, we're getting outplayed. But we're just holding and holding and holding. And obviously, we'd want to be careful because I'd say a team like Geelong, for example, might sort of punch through us in those circumstances. So we've got to be... I've uh, got to find a way to rectify that because obviously if they fix that, then they're, they're going to be pretty hard to stop. And that was the the concern out of that was just probably the territory where once it got locked into our defensive and we just couldn't get the ball out of it, we'd sort of kick it up the midfield and they'd put it back in and it was up to Caulfield, Patton, Clark, Howard, Carlisle, et cetera, to just constantly repel and we just can't ask them to do that too much. I mean, the important thing is, you know, we've spoken all year about the, the change in game style and game plan to, to a more offensive style under under Rats. Uh, we don't often talk about the defence, and, and when we did, especially in, earlier in the year, we, we kind of relied on on Carlisle and, and Howard and Long, I guess, a little bit, uh, and, and those were the guys that we talked about, and, and we knew that if we were going to win, we needed to have big games from those guys. But it's really the, the smaller brigade and, and the, the kind of mid-sized guys that have really stood up you look at guys like Ben Patton, who's now a lock every week. His automatic selection uh, was incredible on the weekend on Papley. Uh, Hunter Clark and Nick Caulfield. Uh, you know, we, we saw last year what Clark was able to do. I think there were still some question marks around Caulfield and, and his role and where he was best suited. But uh, we spoke off air earlier, uh, you know, around his ability to, to float across packs and, uh, you know, the the way that he reads the play coming into, into defense and uh, intercept mark has been really impressive. Uh, and those guys have, have really held up the back line. Carlisle and Howard have just done their jobs. Yeah. They haven't needed to be spectacular. We haven't needed them to have incredible games, but you know, they've been good. They've been really solid, but those other guys have really taken it to another level to a point where, you know, I'm really confident that our back line can stand up. We saw it against Port and they're really, a really, uh, again, kind of run and gun kind of, kind of team they like to move the ball quickly they're they're, they're sharp with it they, they kick it long they hit targets uh, and we stood up really well for for the most part again last week that as soon as as soon as Sydney tried to move the ball quickly um, you know we were able to stop them and like you said repel it back uh, and and bring the ball forward really quickly and efficiently and, and I've been really impressed with the way that our, our back six and really kind of back eight when you start looking at the way guys like Jones and and Clark and those sort of guys kind of push back and, and help out it has been really impressive. You sort of asked the question of looking at the, the amount of ball that the team we've been playing against has had in that period of time at a third quarter, just you, you sort of go, how many goals would we have conceded in the last three to four years in that time? We, we would have been putting then six, seven goals through, but it, it just sort of become, it, it's not quite impenetrable, but it's, a very solid wall that's sitting down the back there now. Um, it's 
we go in with confidence now. We know that, okay, if one of them is not quite on the game, we know this one's going to stand up. If they're not on, this one's going to stand up. There's backup. There's, I mean, Savage came in for a Ross, who's a midfielder, but Savage dropped back quite a bit. It, it, there's interchangeable. There's, yeah, players who, I mean, Geary, yeah, Geary was up forward. Geary was, um, he can move back down back. Um, we, I, I didn't think we saw Marshall or Ryder really drop back a lot like you see a lot of Rackman do as well. I mean, if we're in trouble, they can do that too. So there's a lot of options down there at the moment. And it's, yeah, if something doesn't go right, we've got a plan B. We've got a plan C even. It's, it's looking very, very stable down there. And one thing that was encouraging before we get into the votes was I can't remember the last time I saw a uh, St Kilda player receive a hand pass 50 metres out from goal and the immediate, under pressure too, and the immediate response was, he'll kick this. And it was in, that was um, Hunter Clark right on quarter time. As soon as you receive the hand pass on the left foot, you're just like, yeah, he'll kick that. He's just a, mm. a tidy finisher. It's probably a Del Santo or an Aussie Jones or, or that type of thing where you're just like, yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll finish that. He's got the class. And, and it looked like he had the confidence yeah. to go and do it. Didn't even look to pass off. You, no. know, you saw it when he, he kind of gathered that ball that he kind of head up, eyes straight, and just knew exactly what he was going to do and he executed Yep, straight through the middle. And uh, obviously votes were, were a tricky one over the, the course of the round of, of the game. Again, I thought uh, Jay Gresham would get the three. He was our uh, most impressive Polish player over the course of the game, dominated the clearances, kicked two goals in the first half. And uh, his last five weeks have been getting better and better. He was a little scratchy early in the season, but playing his best football now for sure. Nick Hines, very close to best on ground, almost deserving of that. Uh, kicked three crucial goals, every one of them on his opposite foot. Um, one at quarter time or just before quarter time to change momentum, one to halt momentum uh, just on three quarter time and then one to probably seal the game in the last quarter. So he gets the two votes and could have gone anywhere with the one, could have gone Steele, could have gone Clark, could have gone any number of directions. But I went with Ben Patton because I thought Sydney's best chance to win the game was that Patley would kick four or five and Patton's the reason he didn't do that, kept him quiet, 10 possessions and, and one goal. So... Uh, that's a terrific job to beat the opposition's best player. So three to Gresham, two to Hind, and one to Ben Patton, H. Um, apologies to many, many players to start. It's, uh, I could, you could give three, two, one, 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 and just keep going. It's, it's oh, um, likes of Hind. He's unfortunate he's out. Patton, very unfortunate to miss out. Um, this, there was just so many options to go with. But impact, I think I gave three to Jones. I, I really think every time he got it, something happened. It, it, it was, as soon as you saw him with the ball, the ball went forward. It went to someone. Something happened there. And just the influence he had on the game. It might not have had the most touches, might not have had the most anything, but you just knew something was going to like change, change of momentum if Sydney had been, like Sydney were, uh, had a lot of the ball at one point and he got it, then all of a sudden everything just turned our way. And it's, the impact, I think well, there's a little bit of obviously um, motivation to beat the old team. So he, he went out there and just did the job, that a better job than what we could even ask for him any other week. Um, two to steal, same as any other week. What he goes out there and does, gets his own ball, Locks down their best players, tackles hard. They had what in eight inside fifties as well. It's 
it just keeps moving forward every and more and more and more. Um, I think you put down here 466 meters gain, so it's a quite a, quite a number as well. Um, and then yeah, it's just saying with Gresham, probably just about the best game he's played for us. We gave him the one as well. Um, but yeah, just hard to hard to leave some players out this week. I was out there for a while looking at it going, who do I go with? Yeah, definitely tough one. There's, there's, like you said, there's probably nine or ten blokes that could be in the votes uh, in any given week. I, I reckon I've got nine of them listed here in the, in, in the key stats um, section of, of our run sheet. But yeah, Parker, like like you said, I, I, I gave Gresham three. I think he was our most consistent, most impactful player um, throughout the game. I think what he was able to do around uh, around the contest, he had six clearances, 423 metres gained. He's, he's copped a lot of flack amongst St Kilda supporters for his disposal and, and his kind of quick kicks out of out of packs and out of the contest. But he you know, disposed of the ball at 74% efficiency on the weekend and um, you know, really, really quality ball inside 50 uh, and, and was just, I think, our most impactful player across four quarters. Uh, two I gave to Nick Hind. We know he kicked three goals. He had 16 touches. He also had five tackles. And, and it was the way that he went about it, I think, that was most impressive. Uh, looked to attack, looked to, to run hard, run fast, move the ball, uh, get into good positions from half back to half forward, really. Um, never stopped running and, and was very impressive. Would be stiff to, to go out this week. I, I don't see any way that he could be dropped this week. Um, and that was, I guess, one of his... One of his question marks was was how impactful can he be across across four quarters and, and across a full game, and he, and he really did that this week. Uh, the one could have gone to anyone. You could have gone to Steele, could have gone to Sinclair. I thought he was really good. 15 touches, seven tackles, seven clearances for, for Jack Sinclair. Uh, Dan Butler, eight tackles, two goals. Max King, three goals. Hunter Clark, eight intercepts and a goal. But, yeah, H, like you said, Zach Jones, I, I think, you know, any other day could have been best on ground. I think he was very... Very good. Um, 21 touches, six clearances, five tackles. We kicked 15 goals, 11 points. Uh, he kicked a goal and had nine other score involvements. Uh, he was super important in, in the way that we moved the ball forward and, and generated scoring shots. Uh, and, and he's been a massive part into the way that, that Brett Ratton's game plan and, and his style has um, has gained momentum over the last month. Uh, what he's been able to bring to our our list and the way that we play the game has been ultra important. And I was really impressed with with him. So that's why he gets the one. Before we get to our next guest, a reminder about our special episode sponsor, originaluggboots.com.au. Some Uggboot companies import their product. Some even have Australia in their name, but are made offshore and some aren't even sheepskin. Original Ugg Boots is different. Original Ugg Boots has over 30 years' experience manufacturing sheepskin Ugg Boots in Australia, always with a focus on quality first. And we all know you can't beat Australian-made quality. So support Aussie, especially at this time, at www.originaluggboots.com.au for all your Ugg Boots needs, from slippers to moccasins, loafers to lace-ups, Original Ugg Boots have you covered, customised or monogram boots. Also available at originaloakboots.com.au. Aussie-owned, Aussie-made right here in Melbourne. Our special guest, a former cult hero of the Saints in Jack Daniels. They've manufactured another one. Daniels! Snaps! Snaps! 
Well, our next special guest on Unplug, it was a, a favourite son of the club over two instalments, and he played during a couple of good eras for the Saints, the early 90s, in which St Kilda played in back-to-back finals campaigns. And then, of course, five of the last 10 games of his career were finals in 97 and 98, including the 97 grand final. He played 173 games in all, 115 of those with the Saints, with a stint with the Sydney Swans uh, in between. I speak of... Jason Daniels, or affectionately known as Jack Daniels by supporters. And Jack, thanks for, for jumping on with us. Uh, my pleasure, boys. Thanks for having me on board. Now, uh, you, you arrived at the club, obviously, quite young, back in the day when players could be drafted when they were sort of 16, going on 17, those sorts of things, and, and recruited to the club. And the Saints had had a pretty positive 87 the year before your debut, with Plugger winning the Brownlow and five wins in a row for the club late in the year. Um, you played plenty of footy in your first season, 88, under a club legend in Daryl Bulldog. The, the club had struggled a little bit, but can you take us through that time? I think uh, a young Robert Harvey debuted that same year. Yeah, he did. Um, long time ago now, which is scary, but uh, 1988, I was doing my uh, HSC at Chandler High School um, so and had played only two reserve games, I think, by memory. Uh, prior to getting called up into the seniors. It was actually after Joffa Cunningham. I remember being up in Sydney and playing in the twos and Joffa got a depressed fracture of his cheekbone. Um, I thought I was still a long way off from getting a game. He was playing on the wing. Um, It was a really nasty injury, actually. actually. Um, And he missed quite some time with that. But uh, that was my opportunity. Um, The seniors were were still battling along. Um, as you say, they had a reasonable 87, so it was a pretty good feeling around the club. Um, but, yeah, I was pretty excited, as you could imagine, still at school, um, uh, getting a call up to play senior footy with the Saints, um, played on the wing, and we played North Melbourne. I think I had about uh, 10 touches in the first quarter through excitement and didn't touch it much after that. Um, but, yeah, no, fantastic memories. Daryl Border. Um, you know, really, uh, really loved him as a coach. I couldn't have asked for a better first-time coach. Uh, legend of the game, obviously. He really uh, looked after the younger guys in the team. <laughs> he used to give the, the older guys a bit of a hard time, and single them out and, and uh, give them one-on-one. And I remember him looking after Berkey, Harves, myself. You know, Fody was coming through, Brett Bowie. Um, we had quite a, a few young blokes coming through at that time. So... Terrific memories. Um, you've probably got the stats in front of you. Um, I don't recall how many games we won that year, but it wasn't a heap. Um, but it was a nice introduction to the club, you know, playing alongside of legends like Plugger and Spud. Um, Nicky, um, Rocket Rod Owen was pretty handy to have around too. You felt quite safe running around next to him also. And then, uh, you know, a few of the Colton, ex-Colton boys that were in the team as well. So, yeah, good memories. Jack, you actually played 18 games in that, that first year. That, that would have been pretty rare, I reckon, for, for a 17-year-old coming through for, for the first year, especially after only, only two games, as you said, in, in the reserves. What sort of feedback were you getting from, from Doc as, as the coach? We, we haven't spoken to a lot of our guests about uh, Doc Baldock as, as coach, but you know, you're averaging 17 touches a game. You actually polled four Brownlow votes which is your best tally in your career, I think, that, that first year. So what, what sort of feedback were you getting from Doc and, and what was your role in that first year? Um, 
Yeah, look, you know what? I didn't get a heap of feedback from him other than go and, and play the game. I think what he liked about me is my competitive nature, one-on-one. Obviously, I didn't have a heap of skill. And um, and I guess back then, you picture the style of footy. It was just sort of grab it and kick it a bit. We're playing on the wet, uh, soggy Moorabbin ground. So the, the kicking aspect wasn't such a big deal back then. And first year, you get away with a few things as well if you're sort of missing a few targets. Um, but so long as you're going in and competing and, and winning the ball, and I reckon that's what Doc was largely about, was playing man-on-man footy, beating your opponent. You know, back then, you, you'd play a full game. If you didn't play a full game, you'd be pretty disappointed. So it was very accountable-style footy. Um, and I did... That was my strength. I was quite good at that. Um, so he liked that. He he was full of encouragement, um, and really, the first year you just you just play on adrenaline most of the time. Um, we used to have the team meetings upstairs uh, over a steak and chips, and this is a true story. Doc would be using um, you know the salt and pepper shakers and the knives and forks and and the glasses to uh, um, as players. You know, in terms of if if you're standing here and he's over there. Uh, you know, if you're next to the salt salt shaker, where would you stand? That sort of discussion. So your condiment whiteboard. Exactly. Well done. <laughs> um, that was very different. Uh, Alan Davis was his assistant coach. He'd be a little bit more vocal with some instructions. Dave was good, a real hard nut. Um, yeah. So uh, you know, it was it was old school style coaching, I would say, but effective. Now, you say that kicking didn't all that matter that much as a defender and that sort of thing. Was it? We've talked to a few players about, oh, this recruiter said this about this player, this recruiter said this about this player. Has there been much that you ever heard about, oh, he can't kick or something like that? Because we do, we do know it's a bit of an awkward action. We could it quite often paid off. But, yeah, <laughs> did you ever hear anything about it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I look, I, you know, it was... It was one of those things that didn't really... As a junior coming through, I'd win that much of a ball. It wasn't a big deal. And even in my first and second year of playing with the Saints, it wasn't. But it, it, uh, then it became... As, you know, as the game developed as well and became a more skillful game, and the, whole, the whole thing improved. Um, yeah, absolutely. It, was, it became a, a focal point to the to the degree that it was probably a negative impact on me. You know, I became a, um, I'd start worrying about it. And instead of focusing on the things that I was good at, you'd start, you know, hesitating, second guessing yourself. And, and I went, I probably went backwards with it for a period of time. Um, and then, uh, and then sort of got on top of it. Look, But I became to realize that, you know, I was working full time, playing footy. I was probably never really going to be able to change my whole style. So just try to modify my game as much as possible. Um, you know, handball, tackle, uh, punch, uh, harass. And if I had to kick it, just try and hit a target and, and kick it long instead of trying to pinpoint someone, I guess, is where I adapted my style. The plugger broke his ankle that year in the middle of the season and, and sort of missed the remainder of it. In your debut game, Rod Owen actually kicked seven, uh, who, who used to pop That's up and right. do that from, from time to time. But uh, the following year in 89, plugger kicked 71 goals in nine games and then got injured and similar thing happened in, in 1990. As a young player, can you take us through, I guess, 
the, the cult of Tony Lockett, if you will. I've heard a lot of Geelong players talk about the Gary Ablett senior era where they sort of walk around on eggshells around him and go, oh, he just called me uh, he just called me Gaz today or he called me Steve or almost that walking around in awe of the superstar. Was there a bit of that with Plugger given he was perceived as the quietly spoken superstar? Yeah, it's probably a good analogy. Um, probably not to that degree. I think Plugger was uh, uh, a little bit more uh, friendly maybe. Um, but, you know, country boy, quiet. Um, you know, for the first couple of years, you're pretty reserved. You don't want to say too much anyway, so you just sort of head down and get about your thing. Um, but, you know, and he was still maturing. He was still pretty young as well. Um, didn't love the media, as we know. But, the, you know, the real reflection I have is when I went to Sydney and uh, he followed me up there, not quite, but he came up a year later, um, we really bonded in Sydney. You know, it was probably... Uh, I'd matured quite a bit. I was sort of 22, I think, then. And, um, you know, he he come up and it was a relief on his shoulders just getting out of that bubble uh, down at Moorabbin and all that attention and, and out of Ballarat as well. And uh, we used to go out and grab a pizza and sit one-on-one and have a chat. And I thought, gee, the, you know, if you had a rewound five years ago, I thought that day would never, ever happen because we were quite different individuals. But... Um, you know, things changed and I think Sydney was the best thing for him. I'm sure he probably says the same thing or, or has. Um, and uh, But, yeah, what an awesome player. Just great to be around. Uh, scary on the field, even even as, you know, you, know, you wouldn't want to stand in his way. Um, but just an absolute legend. I had my fifth birthday party at Moorabbin one night after school at Thursday night, Thursday night training, I reckon. And we walked into the rooms after the, after the session, Plugger was getting a rub down. And I don't think I've ever been as much in awe of someone as I was that, that day as a five-year-old. It's, uh, it's, it's good to know that you guys were, were the same as, as young blokes. Yeah. Um, but so we, we might talk about your, your move to Sydney in a little bit, but um, you kind of became a, a, a cult figure down at Moorabbin, how did you how did you handle that? Um, yeah, I didn't really ref- sort of view it that way too much. Um, as I touched on, I used to cop a bit of flack about my kicking, but at the same time, I think people uh, appreciated my my effort. Um, uh, yeah, it was look, it was a great environment to be in. Down, you know, the, the old you blokes are a bit younger than me, so I don't know how well you remember it, but. Um, the animal cage, and uh, I'm sure you've spoken about it a lot, um, and just running down the wing, and uh, you know, just the crowd, and then you know, up to the social club afterwards, um, which I know we get criticised about a little bit back in the late '80s, early '90s, um, but it was part of the culture, um, and uh, you know, it was just a terrific environment. Um, it was semi-professional football. We gave 110 percent when we're out in the field, everyone was committed. Um, and we're, you know, we're probably uh, underdogs, battlers, whatever you want to call us, but we had a red hot crack and it was great to be involved and just see the club develop as we became more professional and facilities improved. And, you know, we got, we did, a f- and players, you know, we, we recruited some really strong players to the club as well. So, um, yeah, it was, yeah, and, and I really noticed the difference going to Sydney three years and then coming back. It was like a completely different club again um, in terms of that professionalism. Now, 
you went to Sydney in 93, obviously. Um, you ended up playing against the Gilda twice that year. Eight goals and nine goals, like I kicked. Um, how, how happy were you to actually hear that? Okay, he's leaving there. He's going to be on our side this year of the, well, two years after it became. But between then, the next year, very infamous game. Basically, on top of the eight and nine, he then kicked 11 and pretty much put Peter Cavin into another city. Um, yeah. How does lining up against him feel, basically? Is it, did you sort of just look back occasionally and go, okay, he's nearby, he's not nearby, I'm, I'm all right, yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm getting yeah. out of here, or how yeah, hell was that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Always aware of the peripheral vision happening uh, the whole time. Um, so, 93, 93 was the year he cleaned Cabo up, wasn't it? Is that right? Uh, 94. 94. 94, was it? Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, he, that's right, and then he arrived at the club in 95, yeah, at Swans. Um, and with the pig was released in... 93. 90, 93, yeah, right. So, bad mistake releasing <laughs> the pig. You know, it was a Saints supporter, I think, that did it, but that, uh, that fired him up. Um, and then I just, you know, the, the cave-in incident was pretty bad. Um, and, uh, and I remember he nearly killed poor old Kenny behind the goals too with a low torpedo and, and the girls that used to uh, barrack, uh, sit behind the goals there. Um, but it was really, you know, it's funny how things just turn around. He arrived at the club the following year and uh, Kenny's got his arm around him. We're all sort of <laughs> embracing, which is good. You know, a great thing about footy. Um, I must say it was probably still a bit awkward for Cavo, um, which, which I understand. Um, and he went on and, and obviously played in a winning premiership against us, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, look, he was just such a presence. Um, he just made such a massive difference to that team up there when he arrived there, uh, along with Ruzi, uh came up as well. So all of a sudden, uh, we had some really good key players. Um, Barras had instilled some discipline into the club then as well. Um, you know, just some basic man-on-man accountability, as I mentioned earlier, similar to Baldup, if you like, similar style, um, to the degree where he sort of line us up before training and make sure our socks are pulled up, jumpers tucked in, um, boot laces tied on the inside. Uh, and if that wasn't all in order, you'd have to do a couple of laps. So this is true story, you know, sort of mid-90s, that sort of stuff was going on. But, you know, it sent a message to us that every little, all the 1% has counted. Um, so, yeah, it just started to get things back in order up there, I guess, you know, after that club had been going through such turmoil and they also lacked a lot of facilities and support from the AFL as well. Now, um, post-92, strangely enough, obviously your, your last two games for St Kilda the first time were finals and your last two games for St Kilda the second time were, were finals as well. But a lot of Saints fans feel that, you know, post that 92-93 period, we lost a lot of handy players that were perhaps underrated yourself, uh, Adrian Fletcher, Gilbert McAdam left not long after that, Dean Rice, another one, and it probably had an impact on the Saints. Can you take us through, I guess, your departure the first time and then the process that led you back to the club 
at the start of 96 and you win the Anzet Cup straight away. I remember you kicked a, a terrific goal in the third quarter of that and the atmosphere was enormous. But can you take us through leaving the Saints and, and I guess the process that led you back? Yeah, sure. Um, so Kenny Sheldon rings me. I'm at work at my little insurance office and says he wants to catch up for lunch. And I thought, oh, that'd be good as I'm driving there. thinking, shit, this is unusual. He's never rang me for lunch before. I was excited for a minute. Then I realised, hang on, there's something to this. It was in the off-season. Um, and he explained that they wanted to trade David Grant and I for Barry Mitchell. Um, and Barry was at Swans. He ended up at Collingwood for a year. Uh, Granty said, no, I'm not going anywhere. And I said, well... I probably should look at this if they're keen to trade and Swans were keen to have me. Um, I didn't really want, I didn't want to go at all, actually. Um, so it was a bit of a shock to me, but I sort of got my head around it. And in hindsight, it was the best thing for me. Um, it matured, I matured as a player and a person and, um, you know, it all sort of fell into place. So I always saw myself back in Melbourne at some point in time um, when wasn't really sure uh, I think about uh, two years in at Sydney, Stan Elves. Um, so when did Stan take over as coach? 94. 94. So that's when Stan started making contact with me. I'd spent a bit of time with Stan uh, prior to leaving as he was the skills coach. So um, uh, obviously had a bit of time with him, um, developed a good relationship with him. And uh, yeah, he started, we started having discussions probably then. Um, Barras was leaving the Swans uh, at the end of 95 um, and I'd been talking to the Saints and thought it'd be just a great opportunity to get back and it all flowed pretty smoothly. Um, Craig O'Brien, it was a straight swap by memory, I think, with Obi, um, and he played some really good footy up at the, the Swans as well. So I was just wrapped to get back. Um, as I said, the club had, had um, developed a lot Stan really implemented some new coaching styles uh, into the club. And, um, yeah, we sort of uh, we had a, a great start to that season. But I reckon after that Ansett Cup, we probably, uh, I think we celebrated a little bit too hard because we lost the next three or four games in a row, possibly. You can correct me if I'm wrong on that. First three, yeah. 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 That, that doesn't sound like St Kilda celebrating a bit hard. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so we fast forward to 97 and uh, you only played 13 games that year. I think you missed a, a fair chunk of the first half of the year, but you came back in kind of just after halfway and ended up playing in that, that run through to the grand final. What, what was that like? Uh, look, it was just we were in a great rhythm and just touching on Stan, he'd instilled this real empowerment of ownership amongst the... Well, firstly, we had a really good leadership group. We had about seven or eight blokes as part of the leadership group. I was one of them. Um, I injured my shoulder earlier that year, so I missed a few games, but managed to fight my way back in. Um, you had to fight for your spot back then. You know, you're under pressure the whole time. Um, no one was ever totally settled, apart from probably the top two or three. But there was blokes knocking on the door. We had good depth, um, which is a great way to be. And, uh, yeah, Stan had really developed this um, strong leadership style, supported by leading teams, which I heard Peko um, touch on them, obviously one of the directors there. But we were one of the first clubs to engage leading teams back then. Ray McLean, I think, had a really big impact 
on on us and our honest self-assessment of ourselves and each other. Um, and we just had this good level of trust and confidence about each other um, where we were going to games pretty confident, not overly confident, but pretty confident that we're, we're every chance to win this because we know we've got the right structures in place. We've got some good disciplines. Um, we've got a framework to operate to. And if something's not working, we just stick to the plan. We go back to it, review it. Um, we were doing the mid forward back reviews. So that was sort of, you know, one of the first clubs to be doing that sort of stuff back then. Um, yeah. So all those things combined, I think really helped for a great year. Um, I don't know. Do you want me to keep going on about the grand final? Have you got, do I, do I have to, or I'm sure you want to talk about it. <laughs> That's completely up to you. I mean, we, we all remember that day pretty well. And you know, yeah. unfortunately, what, what are your memories? My memories are uh, the week was, um, Stan said, enjoy the week, get amongst it. Um, so it was to start with, and this is no criticism of Stan whatsoever. He, he wanted that. He you know, was excited. He was happy for us to achieve and get in there. But for step one, we've moved away from our normal structure. Um, so, uh, you know, only small, I know, but... Um, it was on the um, the front bar the other night, which I'd forgotten about it. That uh, we're doing the haka at the end of training, which was sort of an internal type thing we'd been doing. We're sharing that with the crowd, and, and you know the four thousand supporters at training loved it. Um, but yeah, or, or you know we just started doing things a little bit differently. But it was great fun. It was awesome, awesome build up. Um, and then you know there was a few off field incidents that week, which were really unfortunate. Um, and Nikki's father passing away. Um, and then, yeah, we just, I don't know, it just didn't feel right the whole day. Even though we were up at half time, um, we hadn't clicked in. We didn't, do, we didn't do our proper review at half time, how we would normally do it. We did a few things differently at half time as well. Um, and then, bloody old mate. Jarman and Shane Allen, five. I still can't get my head around. Was it five, four or five goals at the half back line? <laughs> Bloody hell. Um, and yeah, listening to Peko talk about it the other week, and I agree with him, it's still hard to watch grand finals, though I have, I think I've got over it a bit quicker than he has. I can't believe he still can't put the TV on, but I, well, I can believe it. It is really knocks you around, um, as it would have so many supporters. Uh, we're just due for one. We need to. Break the bloody drought, boys. Yeah, that would be good. Um, you, uh, as you were saying there, the, the fighting for position, I think a good motivation for fighting positions, not having to play at 10 a.m. at Waverley, that, that'd certainly be... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very uh, true. Wouldn't want to be doing. Um, 98, very, very similar for yourself there. You played to five games and then fell away again. I, I can't remember if that was an injury as well. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it must have been my Achilles, I think, that year. Um, and then sort of fought my way back in again later in the year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a different year again. A um, little bit of a few rumbling. So I wasn't, I wasn't fully aware of what was happening, but um, I think we did move away from that structure, that ownership structure, that leadership structure that we had down pat. Um, 
and uh, things weren't flowing as smoothly and we we're sort of probably grabbing, trying to grab at a few things for some quick fixes um, and it didn't really work. I still think Stan was uh, didn't just hardly done by not to, you know, continue coaching after that year. It was That was odd. I still haven't got my head around how all that transpired and happened. Um, but, uh, yeah, 98 was a weird year. Uh, um, I think, um, you know, we still had really good play. We had pretty much the same team, didn't we, from 97. So, um, made the finals, but never really looked like it in the finals. If you look back, we were sort of there and but we sort of got bowled out in straight sets by memory. Yeah, the tight loss to Sydney and then got thumped by Melbourne. At the That's MCG, right. I guess there's a, the final one from, from me. Obviously, the, the, the curtain came down for you at the end of 98. You were 27. You played 173 games. So the strike rate of games per season was, was obviously quite high. So by normal ratios, you're on track to probably play 250 or, or thereabouts. But can you take us through, I guess, the, the finale and, and then what you got into post-football? You've obviously had a, a very successful career. Uh, after uh, after your football journey came to an end at, at 98, where a lot of them did, I guess, for the Saints. Matty Lappin moved on, Winmar moved on, Stan himself was gone as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was lucky enough to be working. Uh, well, I think I was lucky enough to be working and playing footy. Um, I, I sort of think it's a real uh, risk for some of the players at the moment just to be fully focused on footy. Um, so I enjoyed having that outlet. Uh, so I was working uh, in the insurance industry most of my working life, actually. So um, I had that. That was going well. Um, you know, my career was starting to, to develop there. Um, uh, I think I was just about to get married. Um, so that was happening also. Uh, to be honest, I was... It never came totally easy to me, footy. So it was always a bit of a battle, um, which is fine. You know, that was, you know, as I say, I wasn't naturally skilled and I was never completely in the zone where it would just sort of roll through and I'd um, be able to sort of play fantastic games week in, week out. It was really hard work. So I think, you know, I'd had 11 years doing that. Um, though in saying that, I do reflect you know, I probably think I probably could have squeezed another year or two out. But I wasn't playing great footy. I was in and out. Um, mentally, I was a little bit tired. Had other stuff going on outside of footy. So it was actually a pretty easy transition, transition for me to step aside and say, thanks, really enjoyed it. Um, and now I'm going to move on to other things. Went laid back with some mates at Noble Park. Um, I grew up in Keysborough, so that was a bit of fun. Um, had the shit belted out of me there. Um, it reminded me of how safe AFL footy is. You never get hit from behind, or rarely. Um, but there was all sorts of stuff going on back then, which I was no good at handling either. You know, I hadn't sort of since I was 17, I'd just been pretty lucky and playing a safe level of footy to step back into that was interesting. Um, but yeah, look, just. I feel so privileged and lucky to have experienced what I did. Um, an awesome club, awesome supporters. I just, I really genuinely hope they win one pretty soon because um, I just, uh, I know how much it means to so many people. It's been such a long time. Uh, Jack, last one for me. It's probably a, a multi-layered question. You, you mentioned how you didn't want to leave the club and, and uh, you know, that you end up coming back. Uh, you've caused 
constantly kind of refer to us as, as we throughout this this interview and and, and spoke fair about uh, kind of watching the the team currently. Uh, are you a Saints fan now? Are you, are you red, white, and black? And what do you feel about Brett Ratton Saints at the moment? Yeah, definitely a Saints fan. Um, I think I've got back into it, sort of drifted away uh, after you retire and you you know young kids, family, and you. So I must admit, I probably did drift there for a few years, but um, yeah, fully probably the last few years I've been more engaged back with the club than I had been previously. They're running a mentor program down there too, which I've been invited to participate in. COVID's impacted that a little bit, um, but that's fantastic. Um, uh, you know, past players uh, membership is really good and there's some good programs happening there as well. So um, I think we've got a lot better at, at doing that sort of stuff. So it's great to be still connected. Um, and so, yeah, Passionate, uh, really enjoying watching them play, watching the young guys come through. Uh, just trying to think of what you next. Oh, Brett Ratton. Oh, look, I think he's. Oh, you know, I don't, I don't know, but just observing. I love the way uh, he's going about things. Reminds me of Grant Thomas in some respects and how he's connecting with the players. Um, I like the language that he uses. It's nothing too fancy, um, but it's language that uh, young blokes would be able to connect to. I reckon. Um, and he's getting, you know, he's getting some good outcomes with them as well. So feels like there's a good feel down there. Tony Brown, who's the runner and player welfare, he's a ripping bloke. If you haven't had him on, try and get him on. He's good to have a chat to. Um, so they've got some really good people down at the club as well. I don't know. It just seems, feels like a good feel down there at the moment. And uh, Jack, thank you very much for uh, for giving us uh, so much of your time here and, and sharing the journey. Uh, you certainly uh, gave your all over that that stint with the Saints and with the Swans. I'm sure their fans would, would stay the same as well. But uh, well done on, on all you achieved. Hopefully that, that mentor program and things like that can, can get up again when life returns back to normal. But yeah, you should certainly be, uh, be proud of the contribution you made to the game. Cheers. Thanks, gents. Really appreciate, appreciate you having me on board. Jack Daniels there. Of course, we celebrated a Pride game with uh, the result over Sydney on the weekend. First time we've actually won this now annual fixture. And we're going to take a special look at that now. Well, of course, it was a successful Pride game for the Saints, the first time we'd beaten Sydney since 2012. And obviously, by extension, the first time we've been able to win the Pride game. Great that it was still celebrated, we know, at a time when uh, St Kilda and, for that matter, Sydney are not able to play home games for the, the time being. Um, obviously, good to see a turnout for, for both clubs in Queensland, albeit in this limited setup and the unusual nature that 2020 is. But we are joined by uh, Mikey Cole. You can follow him on Twitter at the Mikey Cole. That's all one word. And uh, of course, uh, the founders of, of Saints Pride and a St Kilda Tragic as well, and someone that can give us some insights into the significance of this occasion. Mikey, uh, thanks for your time. No problem. Thanks for having uh, me. Take us through that. I mean, Saints Pride and, and getting that off the ground and, and what it's grown to, to be over the over the journey, of, of which you've obviously had such a major association. Um, so it started, to, the group started in 2015, um, so just before the first Pride game. and. The good thing about the group um, is that the, the club reached out to the supporters to actually start the group. Um, so we started off really kind of small 
really grassrootsy. There was only a few of us involved. Um, but as as the years have passed and as the games have progressed, we've um, got a few. We've had a few people jump on board and get involved. So it's kind of the, I stepped away this year. So it's the first year that we've won, and it, it's the first year that I haven't been involved. So maybe I should have stepped out earlier. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, we'll have to keep that keep that uh, in mind if you ever get approached to, to have a, an official role with with any of the other coterie groups. So, what, what does it mean? What does it mean to you? And, and I guess a bit more expansively to to the community to have a, a round like the, the Pride Round and a game like the Pride Game. What, what does that mean? Well, I always um, I just think it's good to to support a football club that actually embraces everybody. So, I I always say St Kilda's a family and it's a family that welcomes everybody and I think that can only be a positive thing. Um, but with with the Pride game, I actually think it should be a Pride round. Um, and I spoke to Samantha Lang um, last year, um, maybe the year before, um, about that on, on the Channel 7 telecast, that there's so many... Um, supporters out there that follow AFL and not just St Kilda, but there's a supporter group for most AFL teams, an LGBTIQ supporter group, um, but it's only the Saints and the Swans, I think, that, that get to celebrate and get to, to feel that that kind of warmth that, that the Pride game is. Uh, so what, what, what kind of numbers are you looking at? What, how much interest have you had in the group? How many... Like, do you have many members? Do you have, um, I guess, uh, you're saying there's a core, small core group. What has that grown to now um, in, um, in, since the starting? Yep. So the group itself, probably, the, the committee itself might have around, say, maybe 10 people. But we have events. And so I think the last event we had, we had, like, about 80 people turn up to Moorabbin on a Monday or Tuesday night. Um so if we can get 80 people supporting us on a cold night in Moorabbin on a Tuesday, I think it shows that we are, that we do have that support. Um, and we always have a, a function before the Pride Games. So this year, obviously, there was none. Um, uh, whoever hosts it, so they host an event. If it's the out, so you couldn't fit anybody else there. So it's just like amazing to see this little group that started with the first event I had. I think there was like seven people that turned up. Um, so it's me, Sam Gilbert, Jason Ball, and maybe two or three other people. Um, and then to to get like a hundred people coming, or even more than a hundred people just coming to to show that support and just to show that kind of yeah, we are a family. Um, it's it just, it, it just a feel-good kind of thing to go, yeah, you are welcome and it doesn't matter who you are. I guess just that notion of, of confidence and, and even that sort of safe space as well that the people can feel comfortable at the football under, under all circumstances. How big an influence do you think it's had? Have you had people, I guess, reach out and, and even say that, saying that this has given me, I guess, a lot more confidence and, and made me feel, I guess, safer or better about the football experience? Well, I had, so last year I had a, a, I got a message from somebody who'd been a member of the Saints for 21 years and he messaged me and said because of the group, he's been able to come out. So he, he came out to his friends and his family because there was a group and he knew there was a support network for him. So 
before the game, so Saints Parade before games, we would catch up with the opposing supporter group and we'd catch up before the games, every game we'd meet up and just have that kind of safe space for everybody. So it didn't matter who you were, um, whether you were in the community or an ally, you had a safe space and you felt welcome before before the game. And then often we would meet up after the game as well, but it just depends on what the score was. <laughs> but yeah, so, so I just think um, to have that, to have, for me to get that message from somebody to say, because of your group, um, I'm able to come out. And there's even somebody on, so we've got a page on, since I've got a page on um, Facebook and somebody reached out and said that they're, they're able to, to admit that they, they're, they're trans and they're going to um, start that transition into, into that. So it's actually like a really good space for people to feel comfortable to be their true self. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really good point. And I think it's, it's really easy for, for us to kind of, you know, promote the game and, and you know, promote Pride Week or, or Pride Game and that sort of stuff. But just how much who live this life every day and, and kind of have to face these, these battles every day, whether it's family, friends, community, you know, just, just how important is, is this week uh, look, I, I think it's hugely homophobic remarks, whether it's the way you cheer or the way you clap or, or, or whatever. Um, but I'm kind of lucky that I've got that confidence that I will argue back with somebody, but not everybody's got that. So if, if you heard that once, you probably wouldn't go back to the, go back to the football. You wouldn't feel there's a space that you're able to, to feel comfortable and go. So you just would stop following or stop being involved. So, what's your background with Sakilda? How how did you get onto Sakilda? How did how, how did it all start? Is it a family thing, or did you just fall into it, or where did you I, come from? I think, like most people, um, my dad barracks was St Kilda, so so do I. Um, I grew up in Bendigo, and it's all Carlton recruiting area um, back in the day, and all my extended family barracked for Carlton. And I think the best thing that ever did is not go for Carlton. Um, but yeah, so. And we race horses, so our racing colours are red, white and black. Um, so it's all St Kilda through and through. And, yeah, like my best friend is married to a former footy player. So it's like without St Kilda, I don't know what life would be like. Well, Mikey, we're certainly proud of the, the Saints for what they've been able to do leading the way in, in this and something that I'm sure that the competition will continue to, to follow and, and continue to involve itself in. As much as I can, and I agree with you, the notion of the round is, is definitely the right way to go rather than the game. But thank you for all of your work over the years. Great to, to finally win this contest as well and, and make it a memorable one. And hopefully we can, uh, we can stay in touch down the track. No problem. Thanks for having me in. Go Saints. Quarter was you know a little bit of an issue. We got beaten around the ball, and um, yeah, that was, uh, and we couldn't use the ball out of our back half that well. So um, it was a bit of an issue. But to finish the way that we did, and uh, to think of players that really contributed this week, with you know Nick Hine had an outstanding game, and it was great to see him really play to his strengths and, and do what he can do. I thought the combination of Ryder and Marshall uh, really worked again, and then the midfield influence with you know Steele, Gresham, Jones um, was really good, and Sinclair. 
supported that uh, on the outside you had Hill and, and Billings as well which is really pleasing Battle played a bit forward tonight and also on the wing so um, another step forward but Benny Patton down back um, you know, played on Papali and the Coleman medalist and, and really did a fantastic job and you know, some of these wins that um, younger players get through their career it's sort of one that they can sort of start to build on with confidence and, and really start to think geez I, I can really play at this level and I think Ben will get enormous confidence from this performance and he got a bit of support around him but he did a really good job so so we turn our attention to uh, the Gold Coast Suns a Thursday night fixture at 10 past 8 at Metricon Stadium so back to the scene of the crime if you will the last time we were at Metricon we had the disastrous loss to Fremantle which in the end probably wasn't a disaster because it's it seems to have straightened them up or they've learned something from it or used it as a turning point and uh, it'd be a nice way to go full circle on that, uh, or not full circle, but but basically run back over that uh, that game against Fremantle if they can go back to Metricon Stadium and win at that same venue and and bury some of those recent memories. And and generally when we play the Gold Coast Suns, they've been uh, really scrappy, tight matches where we've had to come from behind and and have, have won by a point or four points or two points. Uh, if it's close, we're probably due to lose. So hopefully it's not. Um, so fingers crossed they can obviously start well and finish well. The Gold Coast Suns have, have probably struggled a bit in the last month. They beat Sydney comprehensively, but have had three losses at Metricon around that, obviously missing Matty Rowell, who's already so important to them. They won't be easy to beat. There's enough quality in that team with Wits and Swallow and Sexton and obviously Ben King and Greenwood and even young Lacocious looking good for them and Bows and, and those sorts of players. But you would hope on form and on depth through the middle that we might have a little bit too much for them if we can put the four-quarter performance together. Uh, boys, in terms of changes, we're going to have Long, Kent and Ross available. Um, I would say Ross, despite what some say on, on socials, is remains in our best team and would get himself back into that lineup. Uh, Dean Kent, you would think, would probably play for Parker, perhaps. Uh, and then it obviously comes down to what they do on the other side of the corner. I mean, Ben Long's had a good year, but it's probably not easy for him to just walk straight back in. Savage was okay. Sinclair's playing well. So not not, an e- not easy selections to make. No, no. Oh. Um, um, yeah, the, the being, team being so even over the last game, it, it really makes it hard to drop a player. Um, I... I can't pick out a player who didn't do their job on on the weekend. It's it's yeah, it's it's really tough, and I I, I wouldn't want to be the match committee. The the only thing they have on their side at the moment is the fact that we have to back up on um, Monday straight after, so it's a short break. They can sort of look and go, okay, we can swing changes a little bit to get the players in and out and make sure they're fresh, and but it'd be still be hard to go to a player say, oh look you're at this game. It, it's, it'd be hard to come up with an, a reason to, for many of them to say, oh, well, look, you're not playing. It's, um, I, I, looking, as I said, looking through to players, it's hard to actually go, they're not, they didn't do their job. They didn't do their job. They didn't do their job. Um, Ruck-wise, I mean, we've looked at the ruck position recently. I think we probably need to go with both this week because, Wits is probably one of the best, well, probably the best ruckman they've come up against since Grundy. Um, they probably need, I'd say Ryder needs to do work in the middle with Marshall around the ground because Wits can do both very well. 
And yeah, it, it's going to have to be covering him off in all over the ground because he, he's shown he is probably one of the better ruckmen in the league. Um, so there's definitely the two ruckmen in this week. Um, after, the, as you say, maybe Parker, maybe, I don't know. It, it's yeah, a real, real tough one to actually drop someone. It, it really is. And, and like you said, H, no one really deserves to be dropped. I mean, the stat sheet isn't everything. And, and you look at guys like Matty Parker, who didn't get a lot of it, but provided really good intensity, really good pressure up forward, harassed and harangued every opportunity he got. And really, I think, played his role. You know, like I said, didn't get a lot of it, didn't do much. But, uh, you know, he, he played his role. That's what he's there for. So he had to kind of keep the ball in the forward 50 and in the forward half. And, and I thought he did that really well, provided some, some spark and some pace as well. Uh, but it, it is a tough one. I actually disagree with you on the, on the rucks. I think it's kind of the perfect week to, uh, to, to give Ryder a rest. I think he's, he's probably played a, a month or, or whatever of consistent uh, straight footy. I, I didn't, I'm not sure that any of us would have picked him to, to play five or six games in a row um, you know, when, when we traded for him and, and early in the year. So I think this is kind of the perfect, the perfect week, short turnaround uh, to, to give him a bit of a break and, and let Marshall go head to head. I think Wits, like you said, he's, he's a very good player, uh, but Marshall is too in his own right. And I think it's, it's potentially one of those weeks where, you know, if the Suns are missing their best clearance player, not often you, you talk about a first, first year player as a, as a clearance beast, but Matty Rowell is, is an absolute gun and he's their best clearance player. Um, Anderson's also very good, but he's not, you know, clearances are not his forte and, and they certainly lack a lot in that, in that area without Rowell. Uh, and so maybe this is the week to, to take the loss in the, in the taps and in the hitouts, and let Marshall go to work around the ground. Cause I, I do think, you know, Wits is very good, but I think Marshall's better. Uh, and Marshall, you know, still has a lot to prove, I think, in that in that regard. And I think he can he can come in if, if you take Ryder away. You tell him he's going to be the number one ruck. He's going to be the guy and he's going to be the man again. And you let him go to work and, and do his thing. Uh, it might be the week for that to, to give Paddy the rest. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I mean, Savage didn't do anything wrong. He kind of came in last minute as, as an emergency. Um, he probably knows that he's not, he's not first team anymore. He, he's kind of the backup now given the, the, the breakout of Patton and Caulfield so far. So is Savage the one to go out? Do you give Caulfield a rest? Uh, you know, it's a really important time, short week, short turnaround. Do you give some of the younger blokes that aren't used to, to the, the week after week pounding of, of AFL footy, do you give, give some of those guys a, a break? Uh, maybe Caulfield's one to come out or, or Patton. I find it really hard to drop Patton. He's, he's done an incredible job. Um, but maybe maybe Caulfield's the one out of the back line. Maybe Carlisle and bring bring Robert in, um, or Claverino. You know I th- that he had he had pretty big raps after one of the scratch matches about a week or, or so ago. That uh, he stood up really well in, in defence for the for the two. So it's it's a really tough one. I think you probably look at it and you go Parker Savage. That's about it, and and then rotation um, Ryder Caulfield potentially. Um, I don't know. Yeah, and that's the school of thought that, you know, a lot of people, Craig Jennings, who, who does a bit of sort of scouting work for, for various AFL clubs and is, is, does a bit of tactical analysis on, on SEN, saying that there's obviously the three schools of thought where you rest heavily in one game or you gradually rest over several or you just go full steam ahead until players put their hand up if they need a spell. And part of me thinks that when you've got momentum and you're a young, fit side, you play until you have to rest players. So... 
if Caulfield and Patton and that put their hand up and say, we're all right, then, then you just keep soldiering on until it's required. Uh, whether you rest some of your veterans simply because you need to, because you've got to be careful not to accidentally drop a game doing that. So you've obviously got to balance it the right way and, and not say, oh, we might lose to Geelong or we might beat this team even if we rest players. It's a case of just almost playing it as it falls that particular week. And, and if they're all fit enough, then, then they keep going. If, if a couple of them are a bit light on and need a spell, then and, and you do that and try to rotate through. But obviously with guys available like Ross and, and Kent, it does allow you to, to potentially make some of those changes. But just a few listener questions on that front before we wrap things up. Um, so a few people have asked those questions already. Daniel Byrne says, what are your team changes, if any, long for Parker was his question. Um, Jason Orr said, did Savage do enough to retain his spot? Will Bytel get a crack? Do we rest anyone? Uh, Wayne Dragwood says, will Seb Ross return? No need to change a winning side. And, and Benjamin Jennison, how's Oscar Claverino's development coming along? So we've probably touched on most of, of those questions. Um, a couple of others, Warren Griffin addressing the third quarter situation. Third quarter is an issue and good teams will get on top of us. Why is it happening? How to change it up? And Nick, I guess the, without knowing that for sure, the, the obvious theory would be that the halt in play at half time, breaking momentum for whatever reason, because they're starting games well. So you'd think that they can come off nothing into something and go all right. But for whatever reason, they're coming out of the halftime break, either with a lower intensity or, or something along those lines. Yeah, like you said, I mean, without without knowing what exactly goes on at, at halftime, it's it's kind of impossible to say. But we, we kind of touched on it a little earlier that I think th- there's something in the process, obviously, between the end of the second quarter and the start of the third quarter. Something's happening that they're losing a bit of intensity. I don't know if it's if it's the way that they separate into their, their lines and, and kind of go through any feedback from the first half. I don't know if it's in the, the way that they're... Um, warming down and warming back up again. You know, we just don't know what that process looks like, but it's pretty clear that something needs to change. Some, some part of that process needs to be altered and, and we've got to get it under control because, you know, against good teams, you know, whether it's a, a Collingwood, I know they're a bit out of form at the moment, but they're a good team. Same with Richmond. Um, you know, plenty of good teams that you can't afford to, to give them 20 minutes of, of, power play essentially where we just give them the ball and, and let them have a crack. You know, we've stood up really well uh, in terms of defensive pressure, as, as we mentioned earlier, but you know, against some of those good teams where uh, you know, they're, they're going to do a lot more with the ball than some of the teams that we've, we've faced over the last month. Uh, you can't afford to, to keep giving them those opportunities. So it's pretty clear that something has to change what, what that is. I, I don't know, but uh, you know, the good thing is that they're getting it under control. You know, rats has them, has them fit and firing at, at three quarter time and has them back at hundred percent, you know, from, from that moment. So maybe he has to give them a, give him a bit of a spray or something coming into that, that, uh, that third quarter, whatever he's doing it at three quarter time, bottle that and do it at halftime. So I, I don't know. But, uh, another question, H, I guess for you from uh, at coach noodles on, on Twitter, how important is Jack Sinclair going to be going forward? Thought he was great on the weekend and with Spook and Hannah's injured, we need someone to step up with a compressed schedule. Uh, yeah, he he was brewing on the weekend. Um, he pretty much he he locked in his own spot into the team on the weekend. It's he provided opportunity uh, like opportunity for the club where uh, the team where we didn't have something happening. He moved to position. He chased down. He just opens the game up in some positions. Um, it, it's 
sort of he kind of got back to here that form where he when he back when he was playing on the wing a couple of years ago that he looked like he'd been in the team all year and was playing great football um it's he, he sort of dropped away a little bit but it's good to see that it is still there and i think he he's going to provide us a lot of a lot of good things to look forward to coming up um I, I don't think he's the sort of player we can let go um let like drop out of the team um it, there's just too much positives there to take us forward and yeah it's sort of play that he he's going to provide something out of nothing and i yeah i think i think it's really a player he's he's there he's he's staying um so He's, he's very important to the team now, it seems like. Um, he seems to have added something to his game. I said earlier, he um, had 15 touches and was obviously very good. His, his ball use is very good. You mentioned a couple of years ago where it was, I think, um, champion data, player ratings, player ratings had him as our only elite player. Mm. He had a patch where he was very good. I'm still not sure about the use of that word elite, but um, he, was, he was very good for us and he seems to, to, to be coming back to that form, but he seems to have added some hardness to his, to his game. He's, he's not just an outside player now. Mm. At 15 touch, seven tackles and seven clearances. I mean, you can't expect much more from a, from a guy who spends most of his time on the outside and, and you know, on the wings between halfback and half forward. Yeah, well, 15 touches and 10 were contested as well. So it shows that, yeah, he's in and under and getting it and providing movement for the team for us to move forward. It's, um, yeah, if he can keep providing that, he, he's going to go a long way to, as I said, maintain his position in the team. Yeah, I've liked uh, my only knock on him has been, yeah, just not getting enough of the ball, but he's sort of changing that now. He's always been good with the ball, but um, mm. yeah, that would have been the knock. He wasn't getting enough of it, but, but that might have changed. Yeah, I... As they're 15 in a shortened game, uh, it's yeah. nothing to really, nothing to complain about, I don't think. So, um, an interesting question here from Daniel Stott. What shampoo does Nick Caulfield use? <laughs> I don't know, but he might have had a bit of it on his hands when he fumbled that ball in the first quarter when, uh, when Patley kicked the opening goal. But it was just about the, uh, the only blue he made, uh, Nick Caulfield. But yeah, he's got, got a reasonable, uh, reasonable, reasonable set of feathers going on, that's for sure. Um, I guess the, the the last couple were how did Winks not get a rising stone on? Winks being Max King, yeah, he was certainly a bit stiff. Hopefully they find one for him during the year because he could probably win one if he gets it, or win it if he gets one. And Nick yeah, well, Lynch just asking why don't we play well at Metricon? Well, I guess we haven't always played that badly there. We've had a few wins there. We, we obviously had the shocker against Fremantle, but we had one quarter of unbelievable footy in that game. Two quarters of rubbish, and and we get a chance this week to. To rectify that, so hopefully we're asking the question, or we're uh, we're discussing another mini hoodoo being broken next week. I think King's problem was that he he has a, a reasonable game, but someone else just has a much better game. I watched saw Georgiades on Thursday night. Hmm. He he had a really good yeah, game. He's, um, he's a ripper. He's a ripper. It's it's just unfortunate that he. Comes up against someone who's had a really good week, so it's, I'll probably it's find one for him though. They they often do that the AFL mm. if they think a player yeah. should get a nom, they'll find one for him. There might be one where he's the fifth best kid around, and yeah, and I'll well, be he's just, perfect, he's, perfect he's, week he's, up against his brother this week. So he might have some added motivation to maybe clunk a few and, and kick well, a few. We, but we so. thought we thought growing up that they would play on each other because Ben was a defender and Max was a forward, but obviously Ben's proven to be a, a star forward as well. So. They won't spend a lot of time near each other, but um, but it will be an interesting game, that's for sure. And 
Fingers crossed it goes all right for us. We'll try to reconvene for another weekend episode or perhaps a live broadcast, which is somewhere in the offing uh, going forward. But Gold Coast Thursday night, Geelong after that, it's obviously a very short turnaround. Hopefully we can improve on the six and three standing and take another step forward this season, guys. But um, And good luck, obviously, to everyone in, in this stage four lockdown, which we know will go for about six weeks. It's another layer of difficulty in a year that's produced plenty of, of, of that. Um, for everyone working from home or isolated away from friends and family, I can guarantee that uh, we all understand that. We, we're all sort of feeling that exactly the same way in, in one way or another. So hang tough and hopefully the boys keep giving you reason to smile. But uh, thanks a lot, guys, and hopefully another result.